I rejoice in my sufferings. Wow. I've never heard anyone say that. <laughs> I've never heard anyone say that in real life. Uh, let's just stop there. I want to repeat that. I, I rejoice in my sufferings. Sufferings, plural. Lots of sufferings. That is just a sentence that I can't quite wrap my head around. I don't know about you, if you can. Especially if you stop and think about the things that deeply trouble you. And so I think it's, if we're going to do this passage justice, we're going to have to face that statement pretty hard rather than just sort of brush over it or be in denial about it or, or sort of think, oh, maybe it's hyperbole, it's an exaggeration. Let's, let, let's, let's face that statement because I think we're scared of it. Well, I know, I know I am. I'm scared of that statement. Uh, suffering is pretty bad. It's uncomfortable. It's unpleasant. It can be unspeakably awful. So it's easier to brush over this verse. But uh, my question, uh, my, my thought is, though, that maybe this verse actually won't hurt you. Maybe this verse won't be bad for you. Like, I hear that sentence, so I rejoice in my sufferings, as something that I should be doing as well, and, and I just think, That's, that doesn't sound good. But let's give the passage a chance. Maybe it will even bring you joy. I mean, it's God's word, right? Let's give it a shot. Let's pray together and we'll see what God's got to say to us. Heavenly Father, please bless this word to our minds and our hearts. We pray that you would uh, allow us to trust you and to hear what you have to say through it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, a disclaimer, I'm not going to be uh, touching on all kinds of suffering. Uh, we're not going to hit suffering from every angle tonight. Uh, so that, that's just, this is just isn't the passage for that. Uh, so another night we can talk about that. And, and if there's suffering in your life that you say, look, mate, we were just not on different pages here, that's probably understandable because this is, this is a particular passage with a particular concern coming from Paul. And, uh, and if you want to then, if you're like, hey, that, that, didn't, that didn't hear me and I don't feel understood, then, then that's great. Come and talk to me and we'll have that conversation and we can bring in those other passages and, and I'll listen to you and we can have a good, uh, a good chat where you'll feel heard uh, and that, that what you, where you're at with suffering is, is recognised, even if we can't necessarily do it in this passage well. All right, here we go. I've noticed three approaches to suffering in Brisbane, and I've no idea if they apply to the more enlightened Tasmanian peoples, but, but in Brisbane, these are common. The first one is acquiring immunity to suffering. Hold on, here we go. Yes, this one. Uh, in Brisbane, if, if you've got a few advantages like family stability, a job, you know, you're not a refugee, then suffering actually can feel quite avoidable. Would you put yourself in that category? You, like you can vaccinate against it. it. Like if we do the right things, if I read the right books, eat the right foods, do the right exercise, work hard enough in the right job, then you know, I can get to the point where I'll be kind of set in life and suffering won't really be able to get at me if I've got the right health insurance or whatever. Now you might have to put a bit of work in, but if I put my life together, I can do it. Secondly, in Brisbane, we, we don't just immunise ourselves, we distract ourselves. Um, if there's some major conflict brewing in the house, I just turn on the TV and... Watch a bit of house, you know, uh, or watch people on reality TV building a house, or maybe go to realestate.com and search for a house. There are so many things that I can, uh, although searching for a house, that might have just ended up backfiring for you in Hobart. But I've made my own point here by getting distracted, even in my sermon. We can distract ourselves with all of these things, and then don't have to, you don't have to worry about it. And a third way that I've seen of dealing with suffering is living in denial. Do you know anyone who's fine? Are you, are you fine whenever anyone asks you? Yeah, fine. I'm trying to remember the last time someone told me that they were fine and I felt like I could believe them. Um, but really, things aren't bad. If we pretend everything's okay, if we ignore suffering, I'm at least not conscious of it and then I might get through the day. 
Now, they're not bad short-term sort of coping strategies for suffering. But being an uncultured citizen of Brisbane, these three, building immunity to suffering, distracting myself from it, being denial about it, they are far more natural to me than facing it. And for some of us, if life hasn't kicked you in the guts really hard, well, then we have that sense that we might, through those three things, be able to, to manage or control our level of suffering to an acceptable level, which is a different thing than what Paul does in this passage. So what I want us to do is dig into it and then maybe see if we can come at the phrase, I rejoice in what I have suffered for you, differently at the end than what we did at the start. Have a read of verse 24. Do you notice anything strange? Uh, Verse 24. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Jesus, to Christ's afflictions. Now, I've, I've read some doctrine books and I've, I can assure you that in them, they all say that Jesus' suffering on the cross was complete. It is finished, you remember, he said, off from the cross. Nothing more needs to be done. What does Paul mean here by what's still lacking? Isn't Jesus in heaven now perfectly and everything's done, impervious to suffering? Well, apparently not quite. You see, we, we get a hint to where, to where Paul's mind has gone in the very next verse when he says, I'm suffering all of this because I have become the church's servant by the commission that God gave me. You see, what explains all of this, he says, is my commissioning service. Your commissioning makes sense of all this, Paul? Which is kind of ironic given that a few of the people came up to me afterwards, my commissioning service and said, I didn't understand a word of what that guy was saying in the commissioning service or Presbyterian language. But for Paul's commissioning service, it made everything clear not unclear. Now, I'm going to get Mel. She's going to kind of come up and she's actually going to read out a little bit of Acts chapter 9 and we're going to hear the commissioning that Paul's talking about. So we get in his headspace. Thanks, Mel. Alrighty, here's a bit of Acts chapter 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were travelling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he's praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in, and lay hands on him so that he might remain, regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, 
for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Thanks, Mal. That's a commissioning. Murderous threats, voice from heaven, blinding light, the bad guy gets struck blind. I knew how to do a commissioning in the old days. Right. Now, if, if we want to understand what is lacking in Christ's suffering, we need to look at this closely. Audience participation time, okay? Hope you're listening. Who was being persecuted? Christians were being persecuted. They were being dragged back into prison and whatnot. Is there another answer that you saw in the, in the text or you heard as Melissa was reading it out? God. Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? The church is being ravaged and Jesus says, it's me. And Paul, when referring to the hard times that the church must go through as she waits for Jesus' return, calls them, in this passage, in the Colossians passage, the sufferings of Christ. See, one of the things that's different about Jesus and me is that Jesus is not um, in denial about his suffering or the suffering of his body. He owns it. He's connected with it. You hurt us. He's not sitting there in heaven going, oh, just, it's too hard to look at. I'm just going to sit away and... You hurt us, you're hurting him. If you belong to Jesus, then you are so tightly bound up with Jesus that any attack on you is something Jesus feels very, very personally, like, like when you kick your toe. You very much feel it, even though it's your, your toe and not you. It's the same with Jesus when his people suffer. And here in Paul's conversion, Jesus actually puts a cap on the suffering. He says, right, Paul, you've done enough. That's not, letting you, not letting you have a crack at my people anymore. In fact, I'm going to make you one of them. And so in Colossians, Paul says, in imitation of Jesus, I'm filling up in my body as much as I can suffering for the sake of Jesus' body. I'll take the hits. He wants to be a good shepherd like Jesus. He wants to lay down his life for the sheep. Now, there's something else that's different in Paul's commissioning. Did you notice that, unlike me, when I got asked, you know, do you hold to the Westminster Confession? Do you this? Do you that? And I could answer, I do or I will. Paul doesn't get any say in it. Like, he kind of get this is kind of coercive, right? He just gets struck blind, kept waiting for three days, go to the city, await instructions, then he receives his marching orders, and the marching orders are, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, to the nations, and to their kings, and to the people of Israel, and I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. See, Paul doesn't get much of a choice in this, which is probably a good thing <laughs> for you and me who are the beneficiaries of his ministry long term, given the job description. Because if he'd been given a choice, I'm not sure if he'd have said yes. Suffering is his calling. Now that's his background. That's where this man came from who wrote this text, who wrote, I rejoice in my suffering. And came to the point where it wasn't coercive, this was something he chose. Let's, let's have, a, have a look at this. He got the job of announcing a 2,000 year old secret. That's what he was commissioned to do. Uh, have you noticed how Paul keeps using the word saints in Colossians? Have you heard that come up here or there, the saints? It's not an accident. Saints, it's just, just, a, it's just an English translation of Greek thing. It's just a word that means holy one. Um, so they could have just put holy ones anytime you see saints. Um, and it just means you're set aside. Holy just means you're set aside for a special, a pure task. 
I shouldn't say just because just implies it's not special, isn't it? No, it means you're set aside for a pure special task. And historically speaking, that was Israel, God's people. He, he, they're a nation that God chose, set them apart. I'm going to save the world through you. Not anyone else. You're my special people. And that's the task I've got for you. And so in order to experience God's blessing, you had to come in from wherever you were to his special people, to his saints. And you had to travel to the temple in Jerusalem to be cleansed and declared clean and to be forgiven by the Israelite priest. Because God promised to bless the world through Israel. But in Colossians here, Paul reveals that God had this little secret up his sleeve. And secret is a better word to translate it than mystery, verse 27. Um, it, it's translated mystery because, like, I think they just can't help it because the word in Greek is mysterion. So it's, it's the word we get mystery from. So they just want to, you know. But really, it, it's not a mystery. It's not something that's, that's puzzling or difficult. It's just something that was hidden. And God's secret was that when he sent his Israelite Messiah, instead of requiring the world to come to him, as you'd expect from a king, in his love, he would go out into the world. Two people where they're at. Have a look at verse 27 with me. To them, the saints, to, to, to Israel, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, the nations, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you Gentiles. The hope of glory. So the job that God gave was to, so the job that God gave Paul was, was that he would make this happen. He's the guy who got the word out there, who not just got the word out there, but as the word went, it put Christ in their hearts so that everyone could become complete and whole human beings again, mature in Jesus Christ, in the Jewish Messiah. The saints doesn't just mean Jews anymore. The nations can come in. The Chinese people do not have to become Jewish in order to receive the blessings of the Jewish Messiah. Australians don't have to travel to Jerusalem to pray to him. There are people all over the world who can claim that they are God's holy, special people, set aside for a pure task. Even the Colossians, Paul calls them saints in verse 1. Pretty random little town in the middle of Turkey. Even Tasmanians. Even you. No matter how far from God you might think yourself to be. See, Hobart may be beautiful, but it is not God's own country, no matter how many of you have told me that it is. Uh, as far as God is concerned, Hobart is more like the ends of the earth, or at least you can see it from here. Um, and, and Christ suffered so that his good news would make it here. And Paul suffered so that the good news would make it here. And so that he could make people here, his pure, special people, as Tasmanians. It's mercy that God brought his blessing to us. The thing is, we, we, we shouldn't think of this as God's own country because it's, oh, it's just so beautiful and lovely. God must be so specially present here. Actually, it's a mercy he came this far for us. This is kind of the climax of the whole storyline of history, really, Paul says. This is the cool thing. This is God's twist that he would extend this over the whole world. This is like the, the going back to Genesis, where in Genesis 12, God said, I'm going to use you, Israel, to bless the whole of the world. And Paul gets to be the guy who announces that. He, in fact, like I said, it doesn't just announce it, it makes it real, it makes it true. That's why the gospel so powerfully puts the spirit, it puts Jesus in the hearts of people when that message is believed. And that is why he is happy with suffering. 
That's why he's happy with suffering. In fact, it's also why he was suffering. Go to chapter 4, verse 3. I don't know if you'd noticed this, but if you were one of those sort of read-ahead people, you would have noticed that Paul's in chains when he writes this. This is a prison letter, right? He's probably sitting there. He's not, not a white country, no, white-collar sort of you know, country club kind of prison either. If your friends didn't bring you extra food, you're probably not going to make it in a Roman prison. The likely scenario here is him sitting in chains, dictating this to maybe a scribe, a hired scribe, while Timothy's there listening as well so that he can, you know, read the letter out appropriately when he gets there to Colossae to deliver it. And that's what he means when he says, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Like literally the bloke sitting there in prison because he's been doing this, contending for them. Chapter 2, verse 1, is what he says. Real men and women have suffered throughout the last 2,000 years so that this message would reach us this afternoon. Starting with Jesus, then followed by Paul, even as he wrote this letter to us all from his cell. See, if you held out the possibility of, hey, everyone in the world can know about Jesus, but it'll only come after a whole lot of suffering, Paul's like, yep, I'm in. With a smile on my face. I'm, I'm down for that. How exciting is that? How cool. Be a part of this mission where God saves the world? Yeah. Have a look at verse 2. I do this because, look, this is what's going to happen. That they may be encouraged in heart. I'm going to see human beings united in love. I'm going to see people all over the world have the full riches of complete understanding. I'm going I'm to see people all over the world know this secret of God, that they're loved despite the fact that they were sort of quite alien from this Jewish God. They're going to know Jesus, the guy who has got all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge hidden inside him. And Paul's, Paul's just, just loving this. I get to suffer and, and, and store up treasure in heaven and, and do this hard yards for this glorious, glorious thing. It's sort of like the rugby league, really, isn't it? State of origin, where the harder the slog, the more we talk about it afterwards. The more glory there is, the more beautiful it is. Now, look. Very quick thing. Not all suffering is the same as Paul's here. Sometimes we're suffering for being unwise. I'm very familiar with this variety of suffering. If it gets put on sunscreen, you burn to a crisp. Sometimes we suffer directly for sins. There's consequences for disobeying God in, in, in certain ways, working against the grain of this world that he's made. And Sometimes the reason doesn't even directly come from our actions. It's just circumstantial and God's playing a chess game and, and sort of moving everything for the good of his people in and amongst it. There are lots of reasons that we suffer. But here we're talking about this missional suffering. There's one other thing before we apply it to ourselves, one other thing I want to say. This does mean that not everything that's hard in your life is a punishment. And you shouldn't take it that way. As if God handed you these hard things because he thought you, you deserved it more than other people and he didn't like you. Or maybe you've taken the fact that there's hard things in your life as a sign of God's bad character. Actually, he's vindictive. He's not a good God. That this God of love I hear about in the Bible can't, can't be real. Here we see Paul, a man deeply in love with his God, willing to, willing to spill blood for this God. And God loves this guy. And yet God sees fit. No, I'm going to let you go through some hard stuff. And Paul rejoices in it. You see, the character of your suffering, maybe if you're using your suffering to beat yourself up, that God doesn't really love you, maybe it's not true. Because it wasn't Paul. All right, a couple of things for us. First one is, we 
rejoice in our suffering, but that doesn't mean that we're in denial of our suffering. Rejoice in our suffering, but it doesn't mean I'm pretending I don't have any. Look at 2 verse 1. I want you to know how hard it is. I want you to know it's hard for me because I'm, I'm doing this for you. He's not saying, yeah, fine with it. It's not that bad. It's not an Aussie bloke trying to avoid going to the doctor. Nah, she's fine. Just a flesh wound. Paul admits the hardship. He shares it with his brothers and sisters for their encouragement. And then he prays, which in part is what gives him the strength to go back for more. This sharing of it and praying and going again in God's strength that works so powerfully within him. See, if you're doing it tough for whatever reason, I want to encourage you, whether you think you've got a legitimate reason or you think you're just being a bit of a wuss, don't live in denial. Acknowledge what's there. Speak the truth. Share it with your brothers and your sisters. You might think, oh, I'm just dumb. My suffering's not as bad as someone else's, so I won't share. Hundreds of other excuses. Don't. Let's just be real with each other. The truth in love is how we grow in godliness. We share it with each other, and then we take it to Jesus in prayer. And at a similar point, Paul, uh, oh, sorry, a similar point, Paul actually publicizes his hardship for the encouragement of others. So I know we have this whole like thing where we don't want to, we don't want to, um, you know, make it too big a deal of ourselves. We don't, don't want to sort of talk ourselves up. We don't want to be proud or whatever. So you might not talk about some service that you did for someone else. But Paul here shares the hard work he's doing for other people because he wants to encourage them that he loves them. If, if you're praying for someone, why don't you tell them? Hey, I've been praying for you because I love you. Because Jesus loves you. Paul wanted the Colossians to know about his suffering for them as an encouragement to them. So just let's talk about it. Share the hard yakka. All right. I don't know where my slides are up to. Here we go. Yes, we are here. The second point of application, this is, I think, the, and the last point, really. There's three bits of things that, that power this. But the, third, the, the, the big thing for us here is to follow Paul's example as he follows Christ. Follow Paul's example as he follows Christ. Why is Paul okay with suffering? Why is he genuinely enjoying rejoicing in it? No exaggeration, no lie, he loves it. Because he believes in his task. Because uh, the three is, is for people, because it's with Jesus, and because it's in Jesus' strength. Because it's for people, with Jesus, and by his strength. Chapter 2, verse, verse 2. That, that, that great bit that we read out before, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full understanding of, of the knowledge of God's mystery. He is so just excited about what could happen for people. He's so pumped. I mean, I mean, if he hadn't done this, it's because of people. It's because of Lachlan. Like, like, like if, if Lachlan's supervisor didn't, didn't, wasn't so pumped and willing to have Lachlan think that she might be a bit silly inviting him to church, then, then we're down a brother. Me is down a husband, which probably makes a bigger deal for her. Right? She would not have met him. But she was willing to risk because there's people on the line. There's people knowing Jesus. There's people having their lives turned upside down. There's people who are surprised by how good God is and how not one-dimensional Christians are because he got told the gospel. It's for people. That's why he's willing and willing to rejoice in the suffering that he goes through for the gospel. Secondly, because it's with Jesus. It's with Jesus. See, it's not a lonely suffering when we're on mission for Jesus. It shouldn't be. 
You see, remember, it's Jesus' suffering whenever his people hurt. He's with you in it. Anytime you feel embarrassed for, for, for sort of having to put yourself out there for Jesus, remember Jesus is standing there with you. Like, he wasn't above being embarrassed. Like, being strung up naked on a cross kind of fits the bill. He is there suffering embarrassment for you. He knows what that's like as you then do the same for him and with him. You're with Jesus. You're never alone in this. You, you, and, Jesus on, you and Jesus in heaven are going to be sharing war stories of the suffering that we went through, the hard things that we did for his kingdom. It's going to be fun. Make sure you've got some war stories to share with Jesus in heaven. It's going to be good. Lastly, third one, it's in his strength. It's in his strength. Where is it down there in, um, in uh, verse 29? For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. You're sitting there thinking, you know, I don't know if I got, the, if I got, if I got this. And Jesus would be saying, yeah, on your own, you're right, you don't. And yet I'm working with you in this. I'm amongst you in this. I am, I am not just with you in feeling your pain, I am with you in having given you the strength to do these things. For Paul, he could say that he rejoices in the suffering that he, that he received for the gospel because it was for people, because it was with Christ and it was in Jesus' strength. So this might be a moment this week when you just think, when you think about, maybe this week you think about the big picture of the gospel in the world and take seriously the fact that while it used to be Israel that people needed to go to to find out how to be saved, now it's you. Now you're the saints special ones with a special task we are what are we doing that might be awkward or difficult to have some cost so that the people around you will become whole and perfect in christ and have their hearts healed so some questions are you praying for your schoolmates your colleagues this is a big rebuke for me like i, I pray for you guys but but do i pray for you sacrificially you know that eat in a way that eats into my other time like this, constantly, do I sacrifice? Do I need, to, I need to get down on my knees first to pray for forgiveness from God for this and, and then pray for you. Pray for my friends who don't know Jesus. Um, another one, maybe, do your friends even know that you know God? Do your friends know that you are saints, that you are the holy ones? Who, you probably don't want to use that language. But, but do, your, do your friends know that if they want to get to God, they can go to you and that you can introduce them? Do they know you're a Christian? Do they know that you know him personally and talk to him every day? And so, like, well, of course, you're the kind of person they'd go to if they actually wanted to have a genuine and personal relationship with God. It's embarrassing, might cause, but, but speak and act in such a way at work that you let them know. And maybe a third one. Maybe, maybe is there any time in your diary devoted to the world knowing Jesus? Like, what would happen? Let's say there's none, right? Let's say that that's just not been something that's been on your radar. What would happen if you put in a half an hour that every week, that same half an hour is devoted to the world knowing Jesus? It might start out just the first month. It's just, you're just praying for, some, for, for the world to know Jesus. Then it might be praying for you to have some more ideas of what to do. <laughs> then maybe the next week, maybe you're praying for some specific people. Actually, God's put on my heart a few people. I want to pray for Jimmy and Tom and, and Hannah. So... That was a real accident. It's just coming up with random names that I pointed to one. Sorry, Hannah. Um, praying, for, praying for these three people who I just thought, okay, I'm going to pray for them. Then maybe the next week, uh, maybe, okay, God, pray that I'd have a chance to talk to them about Jesus. 
over the next few weeks. I'd be praying for my strategy. Maybe the next few weeks after that, I'd be praying that we could have a coffee with this guy and, and then praying for the conversation. And then, and then I'd schedule the conversation in that half an hour. You see, this, you see how, like, this could be just a single one half an hour in your week. Not a huge sacrifice. It's a sacrifice, not a huge one. But all of a sudden, you have this long-term missional trajectory to your life. This would bring a smile to Jesus' face and Paul's face. The suffering of it, I mean. The sacrifice of it. And it should bring a smile to ours too. We've got, a, we got, we got, a, we got a, 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 a way of life, a whole, a whole relationship with God built on the suffering of God. What we're going to do now is we're going to sing. But then after that, we are going to spend time celebrating it. And instead of thinking about, hey, here's stuff we've got to do where we think we're going to suffer for God, we're going to stop and take some joy in the fact that he joyfully suffered for us to make us his friends.